Last year, I lost two fathers. My stepfather, Myron, who married my mother something over 20 years ago, died suddenly after several months of enduring one medical problem after another. And you prayed for him throughout his illness. And on my last visit before his death, he thanked me for your prayers. He firmly believed that he was still alive, in part because of your faithfulness. And then not long after that visit, he died in the night. I regret not knowing him better. My younger brother claimed him as his father. To me, he was always my mom's husband. Still, he was a gift to me. He gave my mother some of the best, most healing and happiest years of her life. Gentle and gentlemanly, kind and generous, clear in his convictions, but humble in sharing them. Myron was a saint. He was someone whose life was forever changed by an encounter with Jesus. He was not perfect, but he was a saint, someone made holy by virtue of trust in Jesus and the God who sent him. My father, Bill, left my mother and the rest of us some 30 years ago. He made very sporadic contact with me over those years. When he came by, he was usually apologetic and remorseful and would ask for forgiveness, but never seemed to understand that it had been given a long time ago. And then last year, um, just before Christmas, I got a call from a nurse at Lancaster General Hospital. She asked me if I were my father's son. This is a very sort of strange question, especially coming out of the blue. She told me he was desperately ill and incapable of making decisions regarding his treatment. And so she asked me to come in early the next morning, Sunday, and meet with the doctor to discuss options. It was a strange experience being asked question, questions about my father and not being able to answer them. It was embarrassing, frankly, to confess over and over again why it was that I knew so little. And you prayed for him, too. And after many weeks, he was well enough to go to a nursing care facility. But then not too long after that, he was taken back to the hospital, and several days later, he died. I remember wondering aloud at the time whether it would have been easier to deal with his dying if I had known him better. In a way, it seemed like a double loss, the, the immediate one serving to reveal the earlier one, the loss of a relationship that I can only imagine to have been important. Standing by his bed, I reflected on what kind of father I've been, what kind of pastor, what kind of human being. It all sounds very melodramatic and soap operatic now, I know, but I suppose I was entitled to a little bit of that indulgence when I was spending so much time around death. I grew up being taught that what happens after death is determined by us, that if we believe and obey, we will be saved, and if we don't, we won't. Now, like so many other things, I have less certainty about that, or maybe it would be better to say that I haven't changed my mind about that, but I've pushed the responsibility for what happens where I think it probably belonged all along, and that is with God. In this small way, if no other, I think I'm, I've become less judgmental um, 
both the judgment and the mercy are God's to distribute as God wills. My father did use some faith speech in his last weeks. He spoke of going back to church and of making things right between him and his creator, and I had no desire to doubt him. As I said, it seemed to me that God's love, certainly wide enough and deep enough to cover my dad's multitude of sins and mine. On the afternoon he died, his sister-in-law stopped to see him, and by then it was clear that he only had hours to live. Somewhere along the way, his sister-in-law asked me to forgive her family for the pain caused by my dad's leaving us for her sister, his wife. And I assured her that whatever had happened was my father's responsibility and that she need not carry any guilt or responsibility for what he and her sister had done. And besides, we'd long ago forgiven him. I'm aware that this makes me sound more saintly than I am. To be honest, I'd simply lost the energy it needed to carry around any bitterness and anger towards someone who'd done something to me 30 years ago. So I wasn't being particularly noble or Christ-like. I'd just gotten to the place where carrying it around seemed more trouble than it was worth, and so I dropped it. And I suppose that's a form of forgiveness, but I don't feel particularly saintly. Anyway, his sister-in-law, whose name, by the way, was Angel. You can't make this stuff up. And who was very, very sweet, very sweet to me. Uh, Angel told me of some conversations that she'd had with my dad not long before he became ill. Sometime before the Christmas holidays, the family had gotten together, and um, when his wife left the room for a little while, his uh, sister-in-law, Angel, asked my dad about his spiritual condition. And she told me that in her opinion, he'd made a turnaround, that his faith speech was sincere and reflected a desire to make things right. He died at peace with God. That's what Angel told me, and I choose to believe her, which I suppose makes my father a saint too, someone whose life was changed by the power of the Spirit through an encounter with Jesus Christ. Not necessarily the kind of person that comes to mind when we think of the word saint. My stepfather Myron, with his piety and faithfulness and generous heart, I mean, that's the picture of sainthood. But if by saint we mean someone who surrendered herself or himself to the mercy and the forgiveness of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then my father, too, is worthy of the name, not because of anything he'd done, which is also true of Myron and of me and of you and every saint from the beginning of time till right this very moment. All saints, not because of personal holiness, but because of the holiness of the one whose death gave us life and whose resurrection is our hope. As I think about this past year and these two men who went ahead of me, I'm aware that I have an awful lot left to learn, so much that I will never learn, at least not in whatever years I have left on this earth. Try as I might, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be reunited with these two men and finally have the time I need to really get to know them. That lovely vision of John's remains just that, a vision of John's, a vision which grows as Revelation progresses, beginning with the saved of Israel and then to these martyred ones and then to that whole of everyone saved by the Lamb 
until it includes all the saints who've gone before, that vast crowd of witnesses, that gathering of spirits, the circle of all the saints. It's impossible for me to imagine. I can't get my head around it. That's not to say I don't believe it will not be so. It's just that it remains beyond me. It's out of my reach. It's too bright for me to see fully. But it is a light off in the distance. It's a hope, a dream, a dream that will someday be made true. And in a way, I guess the thought of both fathers being there makes it seem just a bit more real. Because, again, it makes all the clearer that the whole great cloud of witnesses is there because of the generosity and mercy of God, because of the sacrifice and resurrection of the Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus said that he came to heal the sick, not the well, to save the lost, not the found. So that great crowd is filled with the once broken, the once lost, the once sick, now made whole, now found, now healed, filled with those we'd never imagined to be there. But they're all the same through the grace of God. Every one of us has stories of loss, stories of saints gone before. Stories of people that we've loved, who have loved us, whose lives on earth have ended. Stories of people whose deaths have left us feeling lost, grieving, wounded, angry, embittered, forsaken. Stories of people whose lives inspired and enriched us, whose examples challenged and instructed us, whose faith lifted us up, even as they were telling us goodbye for the last time. Stories of people whose death came as a shock from which we fear we will never recover Stories of people whose deaths seem to come only after far too much suffering and yet still too soon. We all have stories to tell. We all have lost. We have all been touched by death. We have all been blessed with memories, with legacies, and with sisters and brothers whose presence reminds us and serves to keep that loved one alive in our hearts. On this Sunday, we gather those stories together. We gather the loss, the grief, the mourning, the longing. We gather the memories, the joys, the laughter, the lessons, the blessings. We offer our grief to the Lord right alongside our thanksgiving. We again place our hope in the one who promises that we will all be gathered together into that place where God lives, a place in which every last tear will be wiped away, every last pain relieved, every last brokenness made whole, Every last separation will become a reunion. And we give thanks. We give thanks to the giver of every good gift, including the gift of love, the love of sister and brother, the love of mother and father, the love of husband and wife, the love of daughter and son, the love of grandparent and grandchild, friend and neighbor, all the saints, all the saints whose lives touched ours and so made real the love of God. On this All Saints Day, we bring our tears and our joy together, offer them to the Lord, and proclaim once again our faith in the one around whom those saints are already gathered, a great cloud of witnesses that we will one day join. Now, for some of us, the grief may still outweigh the thanksgiving. Some of us are still saying goodbye and may not be ready to say, I will see you again. Some of us still mourn the loss of the gift and so may not be ready to be grateful for what has been taken away. All of that, all of that 
is okay. There is no need to pretend here, no need to drum up feelings that cannot be honestly held. Dear sisters and brothers, if Thanksgiving is still beyond your reach, know that your tears and your grief are welcome here. May God receive them and speak words of peace to you, everyone. Others of us may be far enough along the healing journey that we are ready to sing our thanksgiving and shout praises to God for the gift of loved ones gone before. And you, too, are welcome here today. Offer your thanksgiving freely and unselfconsciously. And may the Lord fill your hearts with joy that flows like a river. And still others of us are probably somewhere in between. Our hearts are still tender, but we've experienced sufficient healing to give thanks through our remaining tears. And you too are welcome here today. May your hearts be lifted up as you turn your faces toward heaven. What John's vision tells us, and the rest of the scripture bears witness to this, is that no good thing is ever lost. No good thing is ever lost. The whole of creation will be redeemed. All the saints will be gathered home. We may have trouble imagining the scene, but that vision continues to nourish our faith and sustain us even in times of loss. And even some not-so-good things, some imperfect things, things in need of mending, healing, saving, maybe those too will not be lost. Maybe once they've been gathered into God's loving embrace and made whole, maybe those things too are never lost. Maybe my father and stepfather are already deep in conversation together, their eyes wiped clean of tears, their faces shining like the sun, their healing complete as they wait together for the rest of us to join them. I hope so. I pray so. And may God make it so for all of us and all the saints who've gone before. Amen. Amen. Amen.